Hello, everyone. Welcome to Ruth is Stranger Than Fiction. And hello to my guests, Rob Levy. Hello. Katie Holiday. Hello. Uh, it's the dream team from Tom Hickathrift. No giants today, though. Well, no maybe. giants today. Well, we are the giants. We're the giants of Tom Hickathrift. <laughs> the giants of podcasting. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you both for joining me again. Yeah. It's lovely to have you back. I will do a little quick intro to the topic, and then I know we've got a drink ready to be tried and on mm, the go, so we'll get, we'll get onto that quickly. Today... We don't often do 20th century stories on this podcast, but today we are doing a 20th century story. Late 20th century. The modern era, if you will. Do you know, there was quite a long time when I found it weird that people would say last century about 20th century. Yeah, of course. I think now it seems normal to say We're nearly a quarter away through the new century. Mm. Right, so you've got to start saying last century. Because for a while people were saying it in the same way that like after midnight you say yesterday about... But no one does that. When you haven't been to bed, surely yeah, not. But, but some clever smart asses do do that. And I kind of felt like that about the centuries thing. But now I think I'm ready to say... <laughs> We're ready to move 22 on. 22 years into it. It was the last, <laughs> last century. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so last century yeah. we'll be talking about... And we're talking today about Masquerade and the Hunt for the Golden Hair. And this is about a children's storybook, which was a puzzle book as well, called Masquerade, written by and illustrated by, I should say, British artist Kit Williams. It was published in 1979 and it spawned a nationwide treasure hunt. That's so cool. Yes, very cool. To do cool. that from a picture book is like, yeah, it's brilliant. The clues within the pictures and the words of the book Masquerade led the successful puzzler to a very specific point in the country. And at that place in the country was buried a unique artefact that Kit Williams had made. And the artefact was a golden hair. And that was real. That it really was real. Was he made, he fashioned a... Did someone um, find it or is that getting ahead of us? You're getting okay, ahead of yourself, Katie. I just want to know. I'm intrigued. Okay, <laughs> what okay. do you think the whole story is about? Okay, sorry. sorry. <laughs> so so Kit, Kit Williams is a he, crucially. Kit Williams is a he. Okay. He's quite an eccentric English fellow. We'll hear a bit more about him. And he created a beautiful hair made out of 18 karat gold that had little bejeweled bits, a ruby for an eye. It had little golden bells attached to it so you could kind of hang it and it would have this beautiful so like a jingling. Egg in a really gorgeous, form. gorgeous hair. And as I say, the book sparked a, a sort of a national frenzy as everyone tried to decipher the clues and be the first to find the location of the hair. And so it seems like when I started researching, I knew a little bit about it and I thought, oh, it's quite a, you know, it's quite a straightforward story. But actually there's loads of twists and turns along the way. So we will hear all about it. Great. Excellent. I love twists and turns. But shall we have our first drink? Katie's going first. Okay. Let's not be put off by the appearance. No, we've learned on this podcast, never be put off by the appearance. It's it looks like an extremely cloudy... Pond. Th- yeah. Um, Many of our best drinks have had this murky appearance, possibly. <laughs> well, I went 
down the route of rabbit-named cocktails because there were no hair-named cocktails. Rabbits and hares are the same, Laura. No. no. Same family. I, I, one of my favourite facts is that rabbits and hares are an example of, I believe, convergent evolution, which means that quite different distinct species evolve to have no. some of the same characteristics because that gives them an evolutionary wow. benefit. So like the big ears and the strong hind legs oh, wow. that rabbits and hares both have, have evolved in that way because they give evolutionary advantage. But they're not kind of evolutionary cousins. I don't know if it's the genus or the phylum or whatever, but they're not as closely related as you would think right, right, right. they are. There you go. My ignorance. But let's not... To be fair, I've learned that before from Ruth McPhee. So when I said... I love when to I talk about it. No, so I love to talk about a... convergent what, evolution. What, why is it that when I think about a hair, I think of the word lepidopterist? That's not right, is it? Um, that's, that's... It's the family is lep- lepid... Oh, no, look, that's butterflies, isn't it? Le- yeah. Lepidopterist. But there's something They're about... not convergent. Mm. They haven't got big ears. <laughs> Or strong hind legs. Very weak hind legs on the last play. <laughs> I think there's something lep is lep. In, in the hair and hairs and rabbits. I'm sure it is, Latin yeah. names as well. Tell us about the murky right. rabbit so drink. So I googled some gold drinks and some rabbit drinks. But I drew all hair drinks, but there weren't any. But there's a lot of rabbit cocktails. And this one is either called Follow the Dark Rabbit or the Mystery Rabbit, depending Ooh. on what Ooh. website you get Oh, it well, from. mystery is perfect. And I like well, the follow as well, the idea mm. of you are following the rabbit. Yes, a bit Alice in Wonderland, I guess, but apparently also inspired by Donnie Darko, which made me a little bit suspicious that it might be odd. Is the animal in Donnie Darko a hare or a rabbit? I think a rabbit. A rabbit. rabbit. Anyway, try it and see what you think. Okay. Ooh, it tastes quite herby. Wow. Mm. It's not. Sometimes <laughs> Sometimes you need to go back for a second sip. But... I'm, go- I'm, I'm not against it. Let me go for my second sip. No, I'm persuaded. Can I? Mm, so almost minty. It's a bit... Like a tiny bit minty. Tastes a bit herby, yeah. Yeah, yeah. a bit herby, a bit well, minty. It's got, I Quite bought, fresh. I bought a bottle of something called Fernet uh, Branca. Fernet Branca! I always Branca, see that yes. on lists of cocktail ingredients mm. and I never know what it is and so I just always am like, no, not making that one. Don't know what this is. Well, now we've got some and it's that, that Italian tradition of bitter mm. liqueurs. Uh, and, like, you know, they like a bitter... like Chinzano, a, a, not yeah. Chinzano, what's the that? orange stuff? Mm. But they like those bitter aperitifs, don't they? And and they uh, yes. Anyway, that's got the, it, this has got that in it. I'm I, on board. I actually quite like it. It's got a slightly kind of Jägermeister back end. I think that, that, <laughs> we've all had a Jägermeister back end. <laughs> <laughs> that's the herbal. I have a copy of the book here. This is actually Chris's, so we'll have a little peep at it. I had this book when I was young as well, but by the time I, because I was born in eighty one, it was published in seventy nine. So. By the time I started to look at it, the whole business was the over. The hair really. had been found. But I remember, yeah. I remember looking at the at the book and liking the book. So we'll have a look at that in a minute. But let me tell you my sources so as to be proper and good. The main source is a really detailed and extensive article by a man called Paul Slade, who also produced a Radio 4 documentary on the story back in 2009. And then he's written up. It's really, when I say extensive, it is... The most extensive of extensive things. <laughs> the book is, not the radio, I think. The article is. Right. Yeah. Oh, article. And I suppose that's when you research and make a documentary that's an hour long, you've then got 10 mm. hours worth of material that he's then channeled into this very extensive article. You can find that at planetslade.com. There's also a BBC4 documentary called The Man Behind the Masquerade, which you can watch on iPlayer. Great. My sources. That's great. Cool. Good sources. It's very good that you do your sources. Is that, is that oh, because you've got a kind of academic background? I think so. I have a constant yes from when I did my PhD. The sort of 
you must not plagiarise drummed into my brain. And so I find, you know, it's nice to acknowledge That's why other people. That's also because you're a nice person and you want to I mean, all I'm, all I'm doing is cobbling together other people's work. I do actually think whenever I listen <laughs> to this podcast... And explaining in a very entertaining way. And explaining it very entertainingly. I, whenever I th- listen to this podcast, I really appreciate all the stuff about the sources because it just, yeah, it gives People you... People a... might want to go away as well and learn more. Yeah. And then they can do so. I like it. No, I think it's good. Well... Let's start with a bit of background on Kit Williams, who was the genius behind Masquerade. I think it's so the the BBC Four documentary is very much a you get a real sense of who he is, and he's he's very much a kind of English eccentric, I guess, if you like. He grew up in Kent. You get a sense that he had a, a, a sort of childhood that was very much about running around in the fields and swimming in the rivers, very kind of entrenched in the kind of rural. English countryside and I think you see that in all of his artwork both in Masquerade and the paintings and things that he does artwork he's not primarily a writer he no does... he's he's an artist ah. yeah and the writing was a sort of secondary thing for now, him on now the now I want to call him Kit Malthouse what's his name Kit Williams Kit Williams who's Kit Malthouse a politician oh, that's <laughs> okay let's not think about that so yeah we really see the sort of the flora and fauna of England in his paintings in his mid 20s in 1972 he won the John Moore's exhibition prize for his artwork he began exhibiting works at the Portal Gallery in London in addition to all his really sort of very detailed meticulous paintings he made all his own frames so oh, some wow. of his paintings are slightly weird shapes or strange ratios but he would just make all the frames himself he often paints on wood so they've got a kind of real physical sense to them as well as being a flat image and he's also through his career made things like clocks puzzle boxes and of course the golden hair so as well as a painter he's got these different craft skills as well this is jumping ahead but in order to talk about him accurately we mm. need to know is he still alive yes he's still alive Hooray. can we visit him because he sounds great yeah let's go and visit uh... him Maybe. He lives in Gloucestershire. We could serve him some of Katie's cocktail. Okay. All it's, the drinks we could serve him the array. He's bound to be elderly by this point. It's going to be... Yeah. Medis- this is definitely... Mind you, no, but no, maybe not. He was in his early 20s in the, in the early 70s. That's he's probably true. younger than our parents. Oh, okay. So he was prob- he's probably around... He's a ...born in around like, late 40s. Oh, I've aged him drastically. You've aged him. <laughs> You've imagined him an old, decrepit fool. I'm so sorry. A duffer. Mr Williams, I apologise. Please, <laughs> can we still come? Let's have a quick look at Masquerade. I'm going to pass the book to Katie and Rob, and then they are going to try and describe the style of art. We're ready. Okay. I'm putting my drink You can just flick there. a bit through the pages. No drinks near the book. Oh, it's oh. beautiful. Oh, this looks a bit familiar. Yeah, it really does. The first thing that strikes me is that there is text around the outside of the picture. It's yes. framed, isn't so it? So around the outside of the picture, there is uh, a sentence that says, as old as earth and in the earth am I one of six to eight I That's the first page. As Earth. It's also it's one of those ones you have to look at because the whole first page is generally green. But then if you look, there's hundreds of different greens and creatures and all kinds of stuff going on. It's got it. a slightly Where's Wally vibe. There's a lot <laughs> going on. It's very You've busy. You've got to search it. That's it. Skip the next page. Have another, oh. see another thing. Oh, there's the hair. Is the, are the sentences that go around the pictures, are they part of the main text? They're or? part of the puzzle. Oh. So, interestingly, there are some letters, in the words around the outside, there are some letters that are coloured red, and it looks to be fairly random. So, for example, it says, and the sleepy hours of night, and the, the S of sleepy is highlighted, and the I of night is highlighted. So there's some mystery going on Are we on making there. words? like You're already starting to try to crack if you the, the puzzle. S-I-R-E. S-I-R-E says sire. Yeah. yeah. So a couple of things just from looking a little bit at it, you've already picked C-O-M-B. up on. There's this interplay between the text and the 
illustrations, which is really important for the puzzle, but also the fact that they're incredibly dense. There's so much going on in the in the paintings. And the more you look at them, you'll see all these little tiny details of creatures and plants and little bits and pieces. And um, one of the things that he wanted to do was to create a storybook for children, but where the artwork was so important that people would really pay attention to it and giving this puzzle mm to it meant that you weren't just sort of skimming through you were really focusing on the arts and taking in all the little details of the artwork i wonder whether the pictures were originally drawn big and have been shrunk they were down. done as paintings yeah yeah i don't think they were huge but they were painted on wooden panels right and then they were transformed into the into the book but also i mean what he what, what you said about how to make a children's book that's full of detail actually what he's recognised maybe is that when when you've got things as a child, years can go by where that's the only book that you look at. I mean, you you really, really, really pour over things as yeah. a child because you haven't got much. Or you children just also like repetition, don't they? So you read mm. the same stories again and again and again. And I think to be able to find new things in that is exciting and fun. It was at the Portal Gallery that the story of Masquerade begins. Some of his artworks were exhibited there. And a man called Tom Mashler, who worked for Jonathan Cape, the publishing house saw some of his paintings and thought, oh, this could potentially, this sort of style could work for a children's storybook. So he managed to get in touch with Kit Williams. He said, would you be interested in producing a children's storybook? Initially, Kit Williams apparently was really appalled at the idea and he, because he said, oh, it's just, you, you know, if you do a storybook, you're having to do the same characters over and over and over again. And you're just doing, you know, painting the same things. And he found that idea to be, he thought, I'd just be so bored if I'm having to produce, you know, 20 illustrations of the same characters. And he hated the idea. So initially he said, no, no way. But he went away and thought about it. And he thought, actually, could I do something that was really unique and special? And could I combine a story that would at face value still be a fun and interesting story? But could I combine that with something that was completely new and special and unique? And so he came up with this idea of doing a puzzle book where all of the illustrations would contain clues, fiendishly complicated clues <laughs> that would lead to the site where a treasure would be buried. So that was how the book was conceived. And is it a story as well? Does the story flow? The story is about Jack Hare and he is commissioned, if you like, or, or requested by the moon, who's depicted as a female character, to carry a love token to the sun who is a male character, depicted as a male character. And the story through the book is Jack Hare going through these different landscapes to carry the token to the sun. And then at the end of the book, he realises he's lost the token. He's lost the precious uh... token. And then the idea is the book then says, can you find it? Wow. So it works as a story as well as being this puzzle. That the... one's really dark. We're on yeah, one I'm... with the... Is it The Screaming Woman? Yeah. I mean, the thing about flipping through this book is that it's a really weird mix of kind of like pastoral, yeah. friendly children's book and quite weird, surreal, kind of trippy visuals so done one... with some photorealistic type. Yeah, like yeah, the faces it's a are very, very realistic. It's a very realistic style, but like you say, it's got not quite surreal elements, but sort of dreamlike or sometimes a bit nightmarish I mean, qualities to it as there well. There are worms coming out of her mouth and snakes and slugs. You may also fish. have noticed that each page contains a hair hidden somewhere in the illustration. And I remember when I was little, we had a copy of Masquerade in the house and basically my level of problem solving or puzzle solving was that I could like 
find the hair in the, the in the pictures. <laughs> so my Where's Wally thing was, uh, was yeah. not totally... Uh... So sometimes the hair's hidden in the landscape or sometimes he's, you know, I think there's one where he's a puppet or there's one where he's a hill or one where he's a cloud. Where's the hair? Here? I don't know. We haven't found it in this one. Oh. Oh, good work. He is a uh, hedge. Topiary. So, so it really... You can just see it. It really (laughs) draws you in, you know, immediately. You're like, oh, this is really exciting. And what can I find and what can I see? And as well as the clues that ultimately lead to the solution of the puzzle, there's all kinds of other little details. (laughs) Oh, Vin. I've got Vin uh, trying to investigate my microphone. And in addition to all the elements that go to solve, you know, that you need to put into place to solve the solution... There's all other kinds of details. There's lots of red herrings as well that you start to think this is going to be part of the clue, but ultimately it's it's a trick. There's one where there's like a little square on a lawn, I think, and there's different numbers in it. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. Um, yes. And then the... And so you think, oh, this must be part of the, the puzzle. And when you look at, um, it's something to do with the periodic table. And when you look at the the numbers correspond mm. to atomic numbers of elements. Oh, wow. And when you start to, so you, if you realise that, you're like, oh, you think this is going to lead you somewhere. And then basically the what they spell out is something along the lines of nothing here, look again, or, you know, it's oh, and the whole thing's wow. a red herring. And then there's lots of things like that. And then there's also what Kit Williams called confirmers, which are things that you don't need to solve the main puzzle. But when you know what the answer is, they you're like, oh, actually, that's confirmed by these different things. Oh, wow. So it's incredibly detailed so and intricate. It's amazing. Of it. It's incredible. You might not be surprised to learn, therefore, that it took him three years to complete all of the the paintings to to come up with all of the tiny details of the puzzle and to complete the paintings and take them ultimately to the publishers. Wow. I mean, he sounds like an impressive guy because it's quite a different skill set, isn't it, to come up with a kind of... To, to come up with a puzzle that you're going to release into the nation yeah. and trust that your puzzle is hard enough that someone's not just yeah. going to solve it yeah. on day one. But equally... It's possible someone will solve it yeah. eventually. That's quite And hard. to paint the pictures that then show the those puzzles. Pictures, yeah. yeah, so and that it works also, at different levels as well, yeah. And even just write a story as well. So when he, apparently Tom Mashler at Jonathan Cape has said later, when the day came and Kit Williams was going to bring the paintings in, he brought them in and they were all wrapped in cloth and each individual panel was sewn up in a blanket. So these really sort of carefully wrapped treasures already and... Tom Mashler says he unwrapped them and Kit Williams started to sort of lay them around the office. And he says as soon as he saw them start to come out, he was like, this is going to be something really amazing. Wow. And he had the tingle of, wow. you know, this is this is the start of something really special. So they set the publication date. One interesting thing, which I wouldn't necessarily have thought of, but I guess Tom Mashler being a commercially minded man did think of was, of course, he had to think, this is going to be an English language book. We can't do a translation of this because the text is so integral to the puzzle. You couldn't just translate that into a different language mm. and have it work in the same way. So that's quite interesting because, yeah, I wouldn't have thought of that particularly. At least you're doing it, though, in the language that most of the world yeah. speak. So yeah. you've got also, though, I suppose the fact that it is a treasure hunt and it's in the UK in the means UK. that you're, yeah. you're not... You've got your core audience, yeah. I guess. But I think, I suppose, publishers are always like, how can we make more how money? Get more? <laughs> so, for example, Asterix, all the characters in Asterix have got puns that yeah. work in English. Yeah. Oh, my God. Not, but when it's not I, in English. When I learned that, because I used to go, go to Rock Road Library, which was near my house, and get out all the Asterix books. And I loved them. And I remember when I found out that they were translations. And I was like, some 
bastard translator is an absolute genius yeah. to have done this. It's insane. To make this work. Because the names are so clever anyway. Yeah. Oh, my life. Like, yeah. vital statistics, yeah. the fat the fat chief. Just think of... Also, the, the uh, magic potion maker is called Get a Fix. <laughs> <laughs> it's clever. I mean... Yeah, it's amazing. So, I, I mean, there's a real art to translation, I think. Often a massive fail as well. When things don't work at all or when things get translated and the new words have so many different meanings and it's a nightmare, like the Bible. (laughs) (laughs) There's been no bigger fail in the history of literature than the King James Bible. What a piece of shit. What a blunder. (laughs) King James to this day says how embarrassed he is about that. I did a Bible. It was shit. I'm really sorry. (laughs) So so the paintings were in. The Mm. publication date was set. But what about the treasure? What about the treasure? So Kit Williams had requested a a budget to make this golden hair. He had the idea in his head. And in the long article I read, it said that he requested £3,000 from Jonathan Cape to buy the gold. But then in the documentary I watched, he said the same man, Kit Williams, he said he requested £6,000. So I don't know which is true. And do we know in today's money? I mean, how big was Well, it was only 1979. The hair is about 15 centimetres. And it's real gold. And it's 18 karat gold. It's got these little jewelled features in it as well. So he crafted this beautiful hair. Oh, Oh, yeah, there's a a picture on the back of the book. There's a picture of the hair so that you knew what you were seeking. Wow. I mean, it it looks pretty stunning. It's stunning, yeah. It's absolutely brilliant. And it's simultaneously. He made it, it, yeah. So it's really sort of delicate, but also quite substantial feeling. Like it's properly like a treasure. Oh, we're like the Dormouse. And it looks like it could be a sort of old antique treasure as well, doesn't it? There's something. What is it about the hair? Well, interesting. That, that gives you this kind of tingle of magic. I think it's the sense of the British countryside is quite like you don't, they're quite unusual to see them. I actually saw a hare. I was in Norfolk a couple of weeks ago and I was on a walk on a sort of a raised path above some salt marshes and I spotted in some briars. I was on my own and I spotted a hare in the briars and I wasn't that far away, but I was kind of above it. So probably about. 20 metres away but I had a good view and the hare spotted me and we both just stood there I was looking at the hare the hare was looking at me it had these like amazing golden eyes like it's this kind of the sun was shining so it's it's brown fur looked sort of really lustrous and golden and it had these beautiful golden eyes and we just both stood staring at each other and then I thought I can't stare at this poor hare all day it wants to be on its way so I looked away and then the hare hopped into the the briars and was gone but there was a sense of magic and I think it's because you can see them, but it's unusual. You know, it's not like seeing a magpie or a or even wild you rabbits. See, you, you know, see we so see a lot rabbits in some places all um, the time. And I think you get a lot of the old church carvings that have the three hairs. You know, where they is the three hairs in a circle oh, is yeah, quite an, an old mm-hmm. emblem that oh, you see yeah. in a lot of old churches and things. So I think there's a sort of sense of folklore about the hair as well, and this idea of the hair as a kind of Almost a cheeky chappy kind of, mm. uh, <laughs> but yeah, with a special, a special magic about it. Yeah, we saw two hares in a kind of raised field in, I think it was, I think we were in Isla, which is an island off Scotland. Mm. And I had the same feeling that I had when I saw a total solar eclipse, which was <laughs> a kind of, I've lived in this world for all these years and it features this massive, amazing, incredible, insane thing that mm. I didn't know it had in it. And here it is. 
that that feeling of the eclipse was matched when I saw these hairs. I was oh, like, wow. well, holy crap, mm. <laughs> here they yeah. are. And then they ran away across a field and it was sort of like Yeah, there is moment. something special about it. I don't mm. know. It's hard to have sort of put your finger on it. I don't know if I ever have, no. <laughs> I'm quite good at walking in the countryside and I haven't seen one, so now I'm feeling a bit like... And also, well, they don't... Everyone's seen a hair. You don't see Katie them all year round as well, so I think you have to kind of get lucky. And really be in the right place at the right time, I think, I for the hairs. I saw a red squirrel. No, I've never seen a red squirrel. I've never seen a red squirrel. That, oh, okay, fine, I've got something. <laughs> that was in Scotland too. That was in Scotland, yeah. And, and it did, it, the place we were walking, one of the things on the sign at the start of the walk to look for was red squirrel. So That's was, exciting. No, that I would brilliant. love to see it a red squirrel. It was really cool, but it was also a given that there was going to be some. Because those you may see signs, <laughs> like when you, go to, when you yeah. go to some of the fens outside of Cambridge, and it's like... You may see, yeah. and it's like, you you may see a kingfisher. And actually what you see is like a load of pigeons or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> there's pigeons everywhere. Yeah. You never see the things on the you may see, but mm. it's good if you saw the red squirrels. But the hair had to be buried now. Mm. Yeah. Before the book was published, the hair had to be buried so that it was ready. They were really for... taking a punt on this book because if yeah. they gave him £6,000 in yeah. 1971 money or whatever it is, they were betting... 1979. Yeah. I wonder yeah. how much they charge per book. This uh, has a price on it written on... Three fifty, but wonder when this edition was published. I think that's an original one, is it, or from the first? Because they did several print runs actually straight away because it became a, a smash hit really. So quickly. in the um, when you buy a scratch card uh, <laughs> and it says top prize of three hundred thousand pounds, they have to by law say it's possible that by the time you buy the scratch card, the three hundred thousand pounds has already been won. In which case, your chances of winning that is zero. Oh, okay. I wonder whether did they have to say the hair has been found. Give up now. Oh, well, in later, I know in later editions after the hair was found, they did a paperback edition, which in the back showed you all the workings to find the solution. Oh. So you could go back through oh, wow. and see how it all works because that's as fascinating really as, as the story. It says three editions in 1979 and one in 1980. So I'm assuming this is the 1980 because so it wouldn't say the other. Edition, yeah. yeah. But they had to bury the treasure so that it would be hidden. It had to be done with utmost secrecy of course, so that nobody could get a clue as to where it was and, and cheat the system that way. But also, they were really concerned that they were like, the public have to know that it's definitely been buried. We don't want people to think we're trying to pull a fast one and that actually there's this puzzle, but there's no real treasure. There's no real prize that you can win. It's it's all a scam. So what they did was Mashler, Tom Mashler at Jonathan Cape said, we need a witness to go with Kit Williams when he buries the treasure. They'll go at night so that nobody can see what they're doing wow. or track them or anything like that. And he said, we need someone that the public really trusts to go with him. So it has to be someone really that has the trust of the public and is a kind of a figure of authority. Right. Princess Diana. Princess <laughs> 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 someone. So you're saying Princess Diana. That's who the public liked in the she past. She was not even married at that point to um, Prince Charles. And you're saying Annika Rice. Yeah. A bit early for rice as well, 79. (laughs) But Rob is much closer to the mark, actually. So, so the person. (laughs) (laughs) The person that they ended up. (laughs) Wait, no, who is close to Annika Rice but but Jeremy Beadle? Because Beadle is about. Beadle? Beadle is about. Beadle is about. In the same way that Annika Rice is about. Beadle's a famous trickster. That's true. You're not going to trust Beadle with this treasure. No, the person they settled on was Bamba Gascoigne. 
Gascoigne. Then host of University Challenge. Also, he was lampooned on the quiz that was on CFAX. Oh, yes, he was. Do you remember was. there was a quiz? Yes, Bamba's, um, what's it called? Uh, Bamboozle. Yes. Bamboozle. I used to love that quiz. Yes, we used to do it all the time. What was the quiz called? Bamboozle. Bamboozle. Yeah. And it was the only use of the reveal button. To be honest, I think most of our most of our listeners are probably older. But for the younger ones, do you want to just explain what so CFAX is? Before the internet, there was a version of the internet that came into your house via the medium of the TV UHF frequency. And the same frequency that brought you TV also brought you essentially web pages. They were pages of text and kind of images, although the images were very, very crude. Pixelated images. And because you couldn't navigate... CFAX holidays. I went on a CFAX holiday. Did you? Yes. So let me just get to the end of this explanation because (laughs) it's quite weird. because Because you couldn't navigate because there was no keyboard or anything, you Mm. couldn't browse or click on anything, what happened was they would send you the pages in numerical order from 1 to 999, and let's say you wanted to go to page 338 or whatever, you would type in 338 and then it would count up. It was always counting up, and when it got to the point that it was sending you page 338, your TV would be like, aha, I've got page Mm. 338, and it would show you it, and then it would stop. And then if you wanted to go to 339, you'd have to wait for the next <laughs> round to come by. It was absolutely bananas. But there were, there were co- you could press colours. Yeah, well, and that's how, that's, that, that, that's, yeah, that's how Bamboozle that's how worked. worked. Was, it was, the... quiz. It was, mul- was it multiple choice? Yeah, yes. so it was a quiz and it would come up with, you know, a, 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 a pixelated uh, quiz master man based on Bamboozle. With a big yellow face. And then it would have a multiple choice and you would press the correct colour to on your on your TV remote to identify what your answer was. That's so amazing. it must have been like a big tree diagram and then you're going... Yeah. But I seem to remember that you had to get all consecutive answers correct. So if you got something wrong, oh, then you, went back to you the had beginning. to go back to the you beginning and go beginning. through That's all right. of your answers again. Oh, yeah. So I, it really felt like an achievement if you ever got to the end. Yeah. Was, yeah. The world before the internet, we are on... I've said this before, but we exist on the cusp where we remember a world that had no internet. Nothing. And then we remember having a phone where all the phone would do was text and phone people. And then we remember the onset of like suddenly you've got a tiny computer that does Mm. everything in the world that you just carry around in your pocket. Like that's normal. We're probably that last generation that's going to have that experience because for someone who's 10 or who's even 20 now, it would be inconceivable that if they saw CFAX, they would just be like, what the hell is they would think like that was from like 19... 50 yeah, or something. But it seen. was from the 1990s that CFAX was there. Yeah. Things yeah. have so rapidly changed. And it had all kinds of stuff on it, as you said. It I bought was. a holiday. <laughs> CFAX holidays. Because Where did went, you go? They went to Malta. Nice. No, hang on, no. Uh, the listener Iron doesn't know. Did, did CFAX just send <laughs> you... Did it just send but you Iron where Apa's you chose? Got a monastery. You could do stuff in the daytime. I remember when you went to Iron Appa yes, and you were like, Ruth, I accidentally went to... Because before you were like, I'm going to a lovely... Because said Cyprus. I'm going to a lovely island, you said. Is Iron Appa on Cyprus? It's a Greek island. Anyway, I remember that you thought you were going on a nice holiday and you accidentally went to like a clubbing central place. But it was very much like the internet because CFAX had weather. Do you remember the weather? Mm. It had sports results. No porn, though. There was no porn, not <laughs> that I ever found. Very hard to make that kind pixelated of pixelated porn. full colour. To, to be totally honest, if porn was pixelated, I think I would probably prefer it. I, I would watch <laughs> more of it. Anyhow, so Bamba Gascoigne. Yes. The inspiration well, for Bamba I mean, I get it. Yeah. He was seen to be a trustworthy figure of authority and so that if he told the nation a beautiful golden hair 
was buried somewhere in the UK, the nation would believe him. And it also had to be someone, of course, that would not reveal the secret so that they, they could be sure that would... I'm sure he signed some contracts to that effect. So what they did, Jonathan Cape, the publisher, had were like, we want to do quite a bit of publicity around this. So they filmed Kit Williams sealing up the hair artefact into like a wax tablet to keep it safe, to protect the gold. And then he put it inside a ceramic casket, which was supposed to stop metal detectors from being able to find it and also to offer that would clearly be cheated it would be to offer a further layer of protection so they filmed this then they filmed bamba gascoigne and kit williams as they kind of were getting into the car to go to the secret location and gascoigne later wrote a book about this called the quest for the golden hair and he sort of became almost the like the unofficial biographer of the story and he later recounted they drove as close as they could to the spot kit williams directed them and then they walked out into the night When they got to a particular area, Kit Williams produced a compass and started waving it over the ground. And then when the needle of the compass swung south, he began to dig. And then into this, dug down into the the hole, he placed the ceramic casket, which held the golden hair. He placed it in, filled in the dirt, and then he said, we need to hide the fact that this is recently disturbed earth. He produced a Tupperware containing a cow pat, which he'd brought from Gloucestershire. <laughs> he was like, we're going to put the cow pat over the top. Wow. That's so cunning. And at this point, apparently, now going to Kit Williams recounting it later, he said, Bamba assured me he knew the exact height of a cow's bottom. And so it was he who splotted the... Uh, <laughs> So they the realistically air. patted the yeah. pat down onto the ground. God, that's yeah, real that's attention so to clever. detail. So they hid the site where they'd hidden it. And the compass, I'll tell you what the compass was about. Crucial to the answer of the puzzle was that the to find the exact spot where the hair was buried. Is this going to be a spoiler? Are you about to do a spoiler? Well, I'm going to tell you that, you know, so me it's Rob not a spoiler. Be able, let's face it, I'm not sure I was going to be able to. Come on, you're not solving solve that it. puzzle. I might Rob solve might the puzzle. <laughs> I love puzzles. You do love puzzles. That's Rob partly why we picked done. it for you. To find the exact spot, the solution involves the shadow of a specific thing at a very specific time of year and at a specific time of day. He had been to the place at the specific time, specific date, and he'd buried a compass. Not a compass, a magnet. He'd buried a magnet, sorry. Um, So he had been ahead at at the very day, the very time, he'd buried a magnet... So presumably um, like the year before? A few months before. He'd planned it all out and he'd had to go to the site and he'd buried a magnet there. So when he later at night time took the compass, it would locate the what magnet. What the and hell? That must have been quite a strong magnet. He, I mean, he thought it all out. Wow. Everything was intricately planned. It was very astonishing, mm. really. The thing that surprises me is that it's, it's cool to think of the idea of doing a puzzle book like this, but isn't it much more likely to just turn out to be a bit rubbish? Like you've tried to do a puzzle book, but it's not very good. Well, like, but this sounds like he's a genius puzzle yeah, maker as well. Yeah, it's absolutely genius. There's a whole series of them based around the Cambridge Museums and stuff. There. The Riddle of the White Sphinx. Yeah, and they've done other ones like that. And, you you know, so this kind of thing, children buy them and do them, but they're solvable by children. A child would never solve this. No. Oh, really? Okay. No. It's, it's insane. A child would not solve this. So I think the thing is that the storybook element was for children and the puzzle element was for everybody else. <laughs> and like I say, the child can look at it and go, oh, look, I can see the hair is hidden in the clouds or something like that, yeah. and they still enjoy it. Yeah. But really, it's it's not a children's book. <laughs> so the hair's buried. The book's going to be published. Shall we have a second drink? Yes. <laughs> 
So we have our next drink. I've made this drink. This oh, is yeah. a cocktail I've learned about from the internet. It looks brilliant. It's look, called look. a gold rush. Robert sparkling. Do you want to try it? See what yes. you can identify. Katie knows what's in there. She helped me carry I, them. Well, yes. I mean, in comparison to Katie's, it looks like an absolute elixir of health. It looks like. <laughs> oh, it's nice. What it's can you identify? Really it's really tasty. You go first because I did see things going in. So tropical, vaguely tropical is my initial hit. I thought maybe some coconut in the background. What? This is why he drinks Fosters. Because he can't identify flavours. <laughs> it's very citrusy. Yes. It's not too boozy. There is lemon. It's really nice. Is it sugar around the rim? It's what it actually is. Is I found in my cupboard some tiny gold stars that you used to decorate cakes and I smashed them up um, in a pestle and mortar with a bit of, I've got also like a sparkly silver thing I've put in drinks before, but I wanted it to be gold. So I smashed it with the gold stars. I wonder whether that's the first time a pestle and mortar has been used to crush gold stars. (laughs) (laughs) And inside the drink is, it's quite a simple drink. It's bourbon, lemon juice, Honey syrup Ooh. to give like a honey flavour and then the lemon garnish. So it's a really simple drink. It's absolutely delicious. It tastes like lilt. It still doesn't. It tastes like lemon and honey. And to, me it ta- to me, it tastes exactly like a boozy I lilt. think I'm going to drink this when I've got a sore throat. Yes. Because <laughs> it's like whiskey and, and, and lemon and honey. That's sore throat drink. But this is called a gold rush. And the link being golden hair, gold rush. For me, that's mm. the link. Did you Google gold cocktails? Yeah. Now let's hear about when the book was published. Yeah. It was published in September 1979. Was there hype beforehand? Was it like a Harry Potter yeah, so they'd done people some queuing to buy it? So the, it? they'd recorded this footage and it was shown on, I believe, Nationwide. An early John Craven outlet, I think. The um, footage of... No, Chris says no. Kit Williams <laughs> talking about the hair and then putting the hair in its waxy seal and then the footage of... Bamba and Kit Williams going off to bury it. So there was a, they, they drummed Bamba up some publicity. Have a seal like Henry VIII, you know, like, does he have like this is an official Bamba has sealed this wax? Therefore, I think he's a humble man, so I don't think he would, but he should have. I bet Paxman's got one. Of course he has. I think the story kind of took off as well because it was a really unusual idea, and this the the promise of the treasure at the end, the idea of a treasure hunt is, I think, as I say, the book was you know nominally for children, but obviously. For every adult who had ever read a like a mystery book or an adventure book or all these, you're like, I can be the person that finds the treasure. This kind of real excitement mm. around it. But also, it sounds like the, the treasure was probably quite valuable. Yeah. So there was real yeah. incentive to find it. That's true. That's absolutely true. Yeah. So I think that's yeah, true. Valuable money-wise, also yeah. beautiful and double whammy. Um, and, and maybe fame. We love Yeah, that's absolutely. That's true. It probably would have bought yeah. it. We love fame. Yeah. So there were quite a lot of news stories. Um, the Observer did a preview, which had a few of the paintings featured in the preview. Mm. So people were starting to get an idea already of how it would be. The initial print run sold out within the first few days cool. of sales. They did two, I think, two further print runs the same year. And by Christmas 1979, there were over 200,000 copies in circulation in the UK. So it was a smash hit. It was top of the bestseller lists. Despite the fact that it was all written in English and featured that the treasure was in Britain, it sold really well across Europe as well. And they people in Europe wanted to try and solve the puzzle. Interestingly, I said earlier about the translation that it couldn't be translated Italy, a publishing house in Italy, they remade the puzzle, if you like. So they kept the same artwork, yeah. but they made their own hair 
they got the rights to make a second version of the hair, which they buried somewhere in Italy so that the puzzle, you would go through the same steps to solve the puzzle, but the actual solution you would get would be different and that would point you to the Italian treasure. Was theirs as hard? It was the same sequence. It was all the same steps to get there. It was just that the answer you came up with was different. relevant to the place? Well, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the puzzle now. I'm not going to go through the whole solution because it's insane. (laughs) It's insanely complicated. If you want to have a really detailed breakdown, the article by Paul Slade at Planet Slade goes into real detail. I also found a website called bunnyears.net, which is a masquerade fan and they have... Nothing um, to do with Playboy. No. <laughs> also nothing to do with hairs because bunnies no, and hairs are but not... but maybe they uh, didn't know that when they began this. Uh, the they site. didn't know they how didn't know far that they, back yeah. in history they actually diverged. Um, yeah. That's like a page-by-page breakdown. So every painting and then they tell you exactly what is in that painting that helps you solve the puzzle plus people can comment so people also were like this is all the red herrings that are in this painting what, what this be- is what Has i've Mr. noticed Williams in the said painting these people are right about everything they're saying or you is... just wait and hear okay one of the things the internet is absolutely absolutely best for is really, really militantly taking the mystery out of things <laughs> by the medium of thousands of words of tedious explanation. But no, I don't agree. Actually, when I was looking at it, and because I've looked at that book loads and recently I've been looking at Masquerade a lot, but when I went on Bunny is there's things that people have picked up on in the paintings that I was just like, God, I hadn't even noticed this. You know, mm. you could look at it again and again and different people will pick out different things. And some of it is people have theories. So, for example, there's a page, one of the paintings that actually it makes the story work, but it doesn't have much to do with the solution to the puzzle. And someone pointed out the fact that there's a herring gull in the picture and they were like, this could mean that this whole painting is a red herring, the fact wow. that there's a herring gull. So who knows if Kit Williams intended all of that, but... I think the level of detail that he put in there, you can think quite probably that was a deliberate, you know, he's chosen to put Mm. that deliberate animal in there as an indicator. So all these tiny details. So, But just so very, very briefly, and this doesn't do credit to it at all, the solution involves you have to work out a sequence of different things and you can only kind of move on to the last bit of the puzzle when you've worked out all the earlier bits of the puzzle. And there's one of the paintings is Isaac Newton dangling puppets and the puppets are different animals, but the puppets have all got different coloured rings on the strings on his fingers. So there's red, yellow, blue, green. And then you have to use that sequence of colours to work something out from a different page. There's other magic squares that have numbers and letters in them and you have to work out they correspond to things from different pages as well. And then the sort of key thing is through this sequence of absurd clues you can work out that if you find all the creatures in the book and then you draw a line from the right eye to the left paw or foot of the creature that line will point you towards one of the letters on the outside of the page wow (laughs) and then you can start to assemble a sentence from the specific letters. And the red letters also play a part in deciphering as well. Is it right to say that you can solve this puzzle exclusively with the artwork in the book? You don't need any other knowledge or stuff? or Well, right up until the end point. So you can get to the sentence once you've assembled all your letters through this painstaking process. When read in the correct order, the letters spell out the final part of the riddle. Catherine's long finger overshadows earth buried yellow amulet midday points the hour in light of equinox 
look you. Well, Which, the length of that sentence tells you how many puzzles there yeah. are to solve because there's yeah, loads yeah. of letters in that. Yeah, and, and that's then, a lot of animals pointing at one letter yeah. on each page. God. And then the acrostic of that riddle reads the phrase, close by Ampthill. So you have to go to Ampthill. Ampthill being... And Ampthill refers to Ampthill Park in Bedfordshire. And so that... Is you need to get that acrostic, and then you're like, okay, Ampthill Park, Bedfordshire. And then the main bit of the riddle, Catherine's long finger, refers to Catherine's long being C L overshadows O. Yeah, okay, I'm just doing the acrostic. Yeah, in my yeah, head. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so um, it's the acrostic is kind of each page donates a letter to the acrostic, mm. but not every beginning letter in the sentence starts a page if that makes sense and Catherine of Aragon spent a couple of years in Ampthill Castle before the divorce from Mm -hmm. Henry VIII and if you remember back the first page of the book already starts to try and give you a clue because do you remember what it said on the first page so on the first page did you read bottom well read the whole thing again Ah, one of six to eight one of six to eight so six wives to the king of the eight yeah. Ah. So already there, you've got that thing. What he that he that's got secret letters, but it also confirms. So then you're like, oh, okay, one of six to eight already tells us that's a reference ah. to the first wife of Henry the Eighth. It says, "I am yeah. as cold as earth, as old as earth, and in the earth am I one of six to eight. And yeah, that tells she's you that one of the six. And that tells but you that she's is number buried. one. Is she the first? Yeah, yeah she's ah. the first because she was married to his older brother. So that's kind of a, a pointer already in the book. But of course, when you start, you don't realise that. And then when you solve it, you go, oh shit, yeah, he was already like telling us at the beginning that it was a Catherine of Aragon clue. Wow. So Catherine's long finger overshadows there is a monument in Ampthill Park to Catherine of Aragon. Like a tall, like a not quite an obelisk, but a kind of tall monument of stone. The clue goes on, midday points the hour in light of equinox. So you have to look where is the shadow of the monument falling at midday on the summer equinox. Holy oh fucking God, shit. <laughs> can we say holy fucking shit on the you podcast? You can say it. Wow. <laughs> I say it's warranted because it's crazy. Jesus fucking Christ, man. <laughs> it's and crazy, that thing isn't of it? checking all of that in advance. He went there at midday on the summer equinox. He buried the magnet so his compass could find it later. He had it all planned out. Jesus Christos. So it's so intricate and it's, as I say, it's I've not at all explained it very well, but if you want to learn about it all, you can look at the Paul Slade article and look at the bunny ears and see. And then you can also learn all these other tiny details, red herrings, all sorts of things. One of the things I read on bunnyears.net was in one of the paintings, there's, it's something like a sequence of initials that refer to, it must be postcode areas or something that have initials and numbers and that once you know the answer is Ampthill, the initials refer to towns and the number is the rough distance that that town is from Ampthill. Oh, bloody hell. So this is what he would call the confirmers, that once right. you, yeah. you you can actually, once you've got an idea of what the answer is, you can go back through and you should be able to find loads of clues that say, yes, you've got the right answer. Madness! This is madness. Genius and madness. I don't know whether you're going to talk about this, but what was his preparation in life to be able to come up with a difficult puzzle like this 
I don't think that he had one. I mean, he was an artist. When I was watching the documentary about him, he he says in that, he's like, I had no experience or knowledge about puzzles. And I thought at that point he was going to say, and so I brought in, you know, a puzzler extraordinaire (laughs) to help me write it. But he didn't. He just came up with this. So I think he's just, he's a a genius, basically. I think there's no other way to imagine it. I've already said this, but I'm just going to say it again. In order to fine-tune a puzzle so that it's theoretically possible... But that if you sell 200,000 copies of the clues, only one person will solve it and they Mm. will take a year to do it or whatever. Mm. That's such fine tuning. Mm. Because it could be impossible or it could be too easy. That's what I was thinking about the Italian one. How can the Italian one be as good? Yeah. And so I don't think that all the additional details could work in the same way but I haven't I haven't seen the Italian book so no. I don't know but it was a feat even for them to, to try yeah. and do that well yeah. it seems impossible to replicate because yeah. there's so much to it and Kit Williams also um, has has spoken about how so the success of the book absolutely as far as he was concerned he wasn't prepared for it at all he was not prepared and he wasn't prepared for the level of interest in him either so he found it quite overwhelming that suddenly the nation was obsessed with it he was getting so people could write to the publishers if they thought they'd found it and they would pass all the letters to him and he would have to open every single one and read mm. like had they deciphered the clues, had they got the right place. And he, it's interesting, he said that because I think our brains want to find familiar stuff. So he said a lot of it, people were convinced that somewhere near them fitted with some of the clues. So they hadn't worked out the full puzzle, but they thought they'd worked out a few things about the puzzle, which then they were like, oh, but that's just down the road from me. And interestingly, I spoke to a colleague at work who's probably in her mid-40s. She said her and her best friend when they were little, so they must have been old enough that they could be cycling around. And she was like, they were convinced that it was in various locations around, you know, around Cambridge and they were cycling off and trying to find it all the time. And then he says, weirdly, that the Americans, so it kind of gained an audience in America, would would read it and then send him these things. So he said they'd just read the book and look at the pictures, great. But then they wouldn't even attempt to decipher any of the puzzles and they were like, it must be like under Nelson's column or, you know, and they would just think of, think of a it's British... It's probably a Buckingham Palace. <laughs> They'd just think of a British landmark that they knew and then right. they were convinced that it would be there without even bothering to kind of look at any of the, the puzzles. So the different approaches that people took was quite interesting. So it's in, it seems crazy to me that anyone solved it because it's it's so detailed yeah. and intricate. I'm one know who did. But solve it, someone did. Is it going to be... Is it- is it someone lovely? Does it turn out to be Richard? Are you anxious? Does it turn well... out to be Richard Osman that does it? <laughs> like... I bet it's Osman that solves it in the end. There's a lot of horrors in the late seventies and early eighties. I that... would love it if Richard Osman solved it. TV is. Is it? You're worried that it's going to be? Uh, Are you worried? Like it's? You're the, it's... frightened that it's going to be uh, um, Savile. Well, no, I don't know. Just someone really undeserved. It's Savile not Savile. It. But all this wonderful. It's not a. It's no one you've ever heard of. Bolan. So... No, not who's what? Mark Bolan. <laughs> He's a seventies guy. I think he was dead by then. But well, it did I take. I don't mean it has to be a horror, but I just think like this. Mr. Williams has done such a lovely thing, and when we come to your house, Mr. Williams, with our cocktails, which we will do. <laughs> we know where you That's live. Not don't a threat. threaten we've, Mr. Williams. We've solved the mystery. That wasn't a threat. It was going to be a nice, lovely cheat. We know where you live. It took a few years, though. So let's. Which get... can I just say? I just like, one. Like, this is the last time we're going to say this. How amazing to set a puzzle that 200,000 people will simultaneously try to solve and the cleverest person, mm. it takes several years for them to solve it. But probably insane. some people weren't seriously working on it. 
Maybe, but about I mean, some people have bought their step kid or their nephew a book and gone, "Here's a good Christmas present." Yeah, okay, but I suppose in the era of the internet, you kind you of you can tell Katie's an inclusive primary school teacher because yeah. she's like your nephew or your stepchild, <laughs> not like your son and your daughter. That's how we do it. <laughs> so inclusive. There's all kinds of families. <laughs> um, it was March 1982. Oh, so about while. two and a half years after wow. publication. Are we sort of interceding into the era of the Falklands or did this predate the Falklands? I don't think we need to even worry about the Falklands. Because that's around 82, 83, isn't mm. it? It's not relevant to the story. Okay, and... so there's not some kind of like side issue where it's like the finding of the hair <laughs> brings the nation together and then they have the resolve no. to go and attack the Argies. That's, no. Good, good. I'm You're glad. Good, I'm glad. <laughs> it was announced in March 1982... The news went out. The hair had been found. Was it still like big news? It was big news. It was big news. It obviously couldn't stay continuously in the headlines for two and a half years, but people were still working on it. So it still was big news when the hair was found. A man named Ken Thomas had correctly identified the location of the treasure. It's a good name. We're happy. And with Kit Williams and Bamba Gascoigne would be filmed for the BBC series Omnibus, revealing the hair. So hang on. Had he been and dug it up, or was he going... I'm going to tell you. Okay, sorry. The hunt was over. Hooray! No, boo! Or boo and hooray. Um, Puzzlers and treasure seekers across the land were both delighted that the story had kind of had a conclusion and that the puzzle would be, the solution would be revealed, but a bit disappointed that they hadn't been the people to find the the hair. But you'd like the fact that it was real. Yeah, of course. Yes. Well, Well, if you didn't trust Bamba... Had had proven already that it was real. You know, you might start going, oh, look, I've been working on this for, you know, two years, six months. You'd start to think it was all a a trick. Yeah. Sometimes, so sometimes I, I do a lot of crosswords. Mm. A lot of cryptic crosswords. And sometimes, if I'm not clever enough, I will say, maybe there's a typo and maybe <laughs> this clue is not long enough because I think I know the answer, but it's but it, it's Doesn't too work. long. Mm. And so sometimes I revert to maybe there's a typo. So maybe if you think yeah. you're pretty smart and you can't solve yeah. it, maybe you think maybe there was just a typo. Exactly, yeah. or, or someone's fucked up somewhere yes. along the line. I mean, everyone makes mistakes. As I everyone makes mistakes. Tell my not Kit Williams. looking at my PowerPoints. Kit Williams doesn't make any if, mistakes. If Bamba Gascoigne had checked your PowerPoints. Oh, bad times. Now, Williams later said more about how Ken Thomas came to find the artefact. Williams had received a letter in February 1982, along with a scribbled map that showed the monument Catherine's Cross at Ampt Hill, a faint shadowy line drawn in, and with a little cross marking hair nearby. Hair, here, hair. Exactly. <laughs> wow. Hair, here. It was enough to show that Ken Thomas had identified the spot. Thomas said he'd been out digging, but hadn't been able to get the spot quite right. And Williams thought, well, fair enough, because you have to go in mm. June and you need the midday sun on the summer equinox to point you to exactly the right spot. So you could dig around the area and you wouldn't find it. Also, presumably digging up in a park. Like, I don't know if it's like yeah, a I mean, council I don't really park know. or a national trust property or what. But, you know, it I must have been you'd weird have to if you kept just going and digging back. there. At some point, you've got to send yeah. a map in rather than just keep digging it up. But he did persevere and he eventually found the casket later in February. And this was the point that he wrote again and he said, I've got it. They were in touch. He said, I found it. And Tom Mashler at Jonathan Cape was like, great, we've got a big news story. We're going to release a paperback edition, which will have the solution in. Money signs appeared in his eyes, no doubt. Mm. And they thought, we'll get an omnibus crew out there. And they gathered back at the spot where he'd found the hair. Kit Williams plunged the wax casket into hot water and the wax melted away, revealing the beautiful 
golden hair. Oh, oh The hair Can was I watch free. Can I watch on YouTube? Probably. However, there were a couple of odd things about Ken Thomas. Well, not however, but you know. When interviewed by Omnibus and for an interview with the Sunday Times he did, he insisted on wearing a sort of disguise and he wore really scruffy clothing and like a big hat and kind of wrapped a scarf around his face. He requested also that his voice should be disguised for the TV show. Wow. Oh, that's too weird. Um, and he was he was really keen on retaining his anonymity and he revealed that actually Ken Thomas wasn't his real name and he just he didn't want people to find out who he actually was because he was worried about too much attention. or It was probably Anne Diamond under all that. <laughs> <laughs> Williams recounted later that when he spoke to Thomas on the phone, after he'd received the letter with the little the map, it seemed Thomas had come upon the answer almost a bit by accident. So Ken Thomas said he'd worked out the bit about Catherine of Aragon from the clue one of six to eight. And then he thought, well, what locations could be related to Catherine of Aragon. But then he'd almost found the Catherine's Cross by mistake and he said he'd actually been walking his dog and he'd kind of come across Was he an East Anglian fellow? He, I think, was local to Bedfordshire. Ah. So actually for him it had been true that the (laughs) the hair was just up the road. Well, it has to be in someone's location. Yeah, yeah. So I think Williams was kind of a bit disappointed because he'd made this really intricate, detailed Mm. puzzle and actually the person that had found the hair had got a bit of it right and then... Got a bit lucky. But you know, he'd got the right location. He'd legitimately found the hair. The puzzle was solved. The Victoria and Albert Museum offered to display the hair so that the public could see it, but Ken Thomas declined, much to the disappointment of the British public. So it was his, and therefore. He's a bad one. The hair was not going on show. Is it Savile? He won't put on show. (laughs) He's wearing a big hat hiding his face. It's not Savile, though. Who is it? Well, it's not fucking Anne Diamond. (laughs) If it's Anne Diamond, I'm going to go around the house. We don't know any other celebrities in the early eighties apart from Savile and Diamond. (laughs) Well, there must be other people. Beadle! It's not Beadle! Is it Beadle? Come on, Ruth, you no, tell us now. No, because he'd need to disguise his hands, not just his face. That's, That's true. true. Very easily identifiable hands. Yeah. Anyway, a little while after the news broke, Kit Williams received another letter via his publisher. This was from two men called Mike Barker and John Rousseau. They were physics teachers from Lancashire. In painstaking detail, the letter laid out every part of the complex solution to the puzzle. Magic coded squares, coloured puzzle strings, pointing fingers, acrostics. They included the crucial bit close by Ampthill that showed that they had managed to solve every single part of the puzzle. They deserve the hair. Even more galling, they had had a try themselves at digging at the spot, but they had had the same problem that it was the it was date. the wrong yeah. time of year the shadows so was there the no right clue place. about there wasn't a clue about it has to be on the summer solstice or whatever that was included in the clue mm. so but they, they, they but i guess they thought we know roughly the area we're going to have, we'll have a try. try where would the shadow be but at this time of year they were physicists also oh, physics teachers you'd think they'd be able to work out the sun Barker and Rousseau, that, you know. well what they decided to do so they went and had a dig they were like, we can't dig up this whole, you know, this whole yeah, area. they're nice people. They thought, we'll go away and we're going to build a special instrument which we will be able to use to scientifically show us where the shadow would fall at this time of day on the summer equinox. Wow. We'll go away and build that instrument and then we'll come back and we'll be able to pinpoint the exact some sort, spot. Some sort of loot, no doubt. Some sort of special contraption. 
they were intending to make some sort of a wooden thing which they would presumably mm. do some calculations and they'd bring it back and it would be the right height to or the right something or other that it would show them. Did, um, did you know, by the way, that some people say longitude? No, they don't. Yes, they do. And apparently... Longitude? That's, that's right. And longitude is wrong. Fuck off. Oh, I'm not okay That's with what that. I I also said fuck off when I heard that, <laughs> but then I, I did some more research. And longitude? Longi- longitude is right. And a also... Latitude? La- <laughs> so they were going to make this contraption and then they were planning to come back and dig at the exact right spot in the meantime ken thomas came and (gasps) found the hair oh after two and a half years chris is shaking his head he can't believe the bad luck isn't it like you know for tmo too much information no No, that's tmi (laughs) what's tmo um what do you call it chris what's your word for it a television match official yours is called a Oh, VAR? VAR? Yes. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, you can't yeah. VAR it. Well, can't you? You can't. Is... You intervene. <laughs> oh, it's not right. It's but the thing is that they hadn't laid out, like, you have to solve the... The thing was, the, the hair is here, is somewhere. Yeah, Someone has to find right. the hair. It's not just... Well, and Williams said, he said he felt terrible for Barker and Russo because, of course, he would rather that someone who had solved yeah. his whole intricate puzzle yeah. had found the hair. And they put in the but... work, they made an invention. Russo thought and therefore he was. But what could what could they do? Is that Russo? What could they do? So Ken Thomas had found the monument and he had found the hair. And that's the end of part one. Wow. The main part of the story. Yes, indeed. That is the end of part one of the story of Masquerade and the Hunt for the Golden Hair. It may seem like the story is finished because the golden hair has been found. But oh no, there are lots more twists and turns to come in this tale. So we will be back with part two. I hope you enjoyed it. Do join us for part two. See you next time. Goodbye. <laughs>